What's forgotten is not always gone. We are the Spyify Guys, and this is the Long Kiss Goodnight. Welcome to the Spyfy Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we'll be covering The Long Kiss Goodnight, starring Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, and guest starring Brian Cox, who's in every movie about a government assassin who lost their memory. And he always seems to die. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Well, the, movies that, the other movies I'm talking about, of course, are The Bourne Movies and Wolverine. Yeah. But he, I guess he doesn't die in X2. You just think that he does. But it seems like he dies a lot. This movie has a lot going on, so let's get started. I feel like there's a lot to talk about with this one. So here is the plot summary from IMDb. Samantha Kane lives in a small town with her daughter. Eight years ago, she emerged two months pregnant from a nearby river with no memory of her past or who she is. However, she's getting closer to finding out about her past. That was awkwardly written. Yeah. Watch it just sets up the movie. It doesn't give us any idea of what's going to happen once we get into the movie. And I mean, it's a good place to start. So we start off the movie really with Samantha writing her name in cursive over and over again. You also have that intercut with like uh, images of a knife, um, pictures of family, a CIA file. It's really I like the uh, just juxtaposition of all of all of it. You know, family life versus spy life. Well, it's kind of like the opening to Mission Impossible, except it's not as obvious that this is what's about to happen, nor is it as exciting. And then the only credit... Well, it's not like bump, 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 bump. It's more like do, 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 do. You know, it's like slower. Yeah, what part of that was reminiscent of Mission Impossible? Well, because remember how in Mission Impossible they show clips from the movie you're about to watch? Yeah. In the opening credits? Well, it's like this, too. I mean, we don't know anything about the movie when we get in. I'm going to dispute that as a fan of Mission Impossible. This is nothing like that, but okay. Okay, fine. The only credit I noticed in the opening credits was Shane Black is the writer. Yeah, and, well, given that it's a Shane Black movie, or, you know, he's involved with it, of course, it takes place at Christmas. Yeah, we got the music, we got a Christmas parade, and Claire, I mean, Samantha... Okay, Claire's neither of those names. Yeah, we got we got the Christmas parade, and we got Samantha as Mrs. Claus, mm-hmm. and she has the best life. She's got a kid. She's got friends, but in this Loving scene, fiance. but the my trouble with this scene though is that it's all telling, mm-hmm. right? The rule of screenwriting is you show, don't tell. But in this opening, it's like a narration where she just tells you about her life, including the exciting stuff about the amnesia. Yeah, well, I think, like you said, there's a lot that happens in this movie, and to show all of that would really slow it down. So you just need to, you know, push people right into the scenario so that they can get get moving. Wouldn't that be nice? So, yeah, she's basically like, my life is awesome, and I don't really care that much anymore about who I was. I've kissed her goodnight. Hence the title. Interesting that that's what you focused on in that narration, that that everything was great with her, whereas what I focused on was all the details of, okay, so she was found eight years ago in New Jersey Shore with only a key in her back pocket. Well, I empathize with the character. And if the uh, character doesn't care that much, neither do I. Fair enough, fair enough. Christmas party at her house. There's a kid who's trying to steal a pack of smokes. 
how's how is making this who is her fiance uh is making this big speech they kiss on the mistletoe so yeah this is a very you know happy family life yep and we find out that samantha used to hire like you know really high class expensive detectives to find out about her past but now she only pays for the cheap ones because like i said she's sort of stopped caring she's or rather that is to say she's moved on How's that? I would say if she'd completely moved on, though, she wouldn't be hiring detectives at all. I guess when Samuel L. Jackson shows up later, she immediately recognizes and knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she ha- signed a check four years ago and then forgot about it and let the mm-hmm. case sort of linger. In the next scene, we have the entrance of Sam Jackson into the movie. He identifies himself as Sergeant Madison, and he bursts into a room. There's a guy there with a prostitute. And... You know, he's, bust, he's busting the guy for prostitution. Right. And then one of his other fellow officers there with him pukes. Yeah, he's like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And we find out that apparently he's running a scam with the supposed prostitute, who's actually his assistant uh, at his detective agency. And he's a detective, right. not, a, not a cop. Well, see, I was confused about this. So he's a uh-huh. detective, but it's also a scam? Yeah. Well, he's a cheap detective that needs, you know, runs a scam to get more money from people. On the side. Yeah. Which, okay, so remember the scam later. Help me remember, because I'm going to okay. want to talk about that later. Okay. So also, just really quickly about this scene where he's interrogating the guy is very reminiscent of Pulp Fiction. The, definitely. I, I definitely got that vibe, yeah. Yeah, the English, do you speak it <laughs> scene? Yeah. Yeah. So then they discover, they find, they have a break in the case. They have info about Samantha's story. Or they have info about Samantha's background. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, is it this at this moment where we find out what the info is, or just that we find out that there's a break in the case? I don't really remember all the details about what they find and when they find it. Wow. So well, we can just okay. talk about it now. So the big thing that they found is that someone rented a room under Samantha Kane's name. It, in I don't remember where exactly. And apparently she was the best tenant ever, and the landlord didn't want to, you know, toss out all her stuff when she didn't come back, so she kept it. And as Moral much- of the story, be nice to landlords. Or maybe <laughs> not, if you don't want your CIA assassin pass to catch up with you. True, true. Next scene is we have Sam- Samantha driving an old guy home. He's drunk, he's waving her hands around as he's talking, and he distracts her, and she- when he's doing that, she doesn't see a deer in the road, which crashes into into the car. And as it crashes, it, like, kicks her and the other guy. Yeah, it's like animatronic deer or something. <laughs> they swerve in, and they swerve off the road and crash into a tree. Samantha flies out of the car and the car catches on fire. So the guy's definitely dead. The old guy's definitely dead. He's totally dead. And this is the first of many scenes where people are launched through the air in this movie. There's, like, four. Yeah, and so as she, you know, gets up out of the snow because it's Christmas time, she finds a deer and breaks its neck. Yes, but interspersed with that is like she's starting to get flashbacks of memory. Mm-hmm. So her assassin past is starting to seep through. Yeah. And apparently that involves mercy killing deers. <laughs> or just deer. Is it deer? The plural of deer is deer, right? Sure. I think so. <laughs> and then meanwhile, back in this 
in the Jersey Correctional Facility, <laughs> is what it's called. Yep. There's a criminal who looks like a daredevil villain <laughs> in his own private cell with a desk and a bed and, and, and a TV. TV. And he's watching TV and they're talking about skydiving Santa, which I thought was hilarious. That's very Shane Black, yeah. But they also mentioned that it's his last trip. So I'm like, all right, did skydiving Santa die? Presumably, yes. <laughs> but the next thing that he sees after this coverage of skydiving Santa is the parade with which had Sam as Mrs. Claus. And he sees her on TV and just goes nuts. Yeah, he recognizes her. He wants revenge on her. So we go to Samantha in the hospital. Hal is standing over her. And Sam is having a dream. She's on a cliff in front of a mirror and sees her reflection, except her reflection has like slick back hair, blonde, and is like, and her reflection saying, I want a cigarette. Samantha's like, I don't, I don't smoke. She calls herself Charlie. And she says, I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Mitch, which is Sam Jackson's real name, not uh, Detective or Sergeant Madison. Yeah, he's spending time with his kid and his ex-wife. Well, his ex- less the ex-wife, more the kid. Right. But the ex-wife is there. She doesn't want the kid to have anything to do with him. It's like Deadshot in Suicide Squad. <laughs> you know, the classic tough guy with a kid that he cares about. The Walking out of that. too was Suicide Squad. It's the first one that jumps to mind. Okay. Well, this movie also reminded me of Die Hard with a Vengeance a lot. And it's not just because Samuel L. Jackson's playing a similar role. Mm-hmm. Right. I think both Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson in that movie have ex-wives and kids. Okay. So while he's leaving the house, they get more info, a big break in the case. Oh, okay. So I have it in my notes here. Yeah, so this is when you find out about the room rental. About the landlady, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, back at home, apparently she's discovered she's an expert with a knife. Yep. So she's cutting a carrot. She's cutting it very slowly, like how I would probably cut a carrot. Mm-hmm. You know, just very slowly chop, chop, because I don't want to cut my fingers or anything. And then as she's doing it, she starts speeding up. She's going really, really fast. And so she starts to think, maybe I used to be a chef. And so, like, Hal and the kid who, I don't think we've learned the kid's name yet, but it's Caitlin. Yep. Are tossing her all these different vegetables to cut up. And I'm like, all right, what are you going to do with all those veg- vegetables that you've cut up now? Well, this scene is so weird because the music is like happy, fun, everyone's having a good time, which is so out of place with the rest of the movie, I feel. Well, I mean, it's it's supposed to contrast the happy life in Jersey or actually, where are they? I don't remember if they're in. Yeah, I, I presume they're in Jersey. They said they're in Pennsylvania. Oh, at some point. that's right. Jersey is where she was found. OK. Yeah. So, happy life in Pennsylvania. And it's supposed to contrast with everything else that happens in the movie. But. As mm-hmm. she's cutting, she starts doing other things like balancing the knife on her fingertip, and then someone throws her a tomato. She throws the tomato and throws the uh, throws the knife into the tomato into a wall. And she's like, chefs do that. Yeah, it's a troubling sign, but apparently lots of people in this movie can throw knives. Samuel L. Jackson can do it too, so it's not that amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so next we go to an aircraft hangar where someone's being tortured. But, mm-hmm. you know, that guy claims he doesn't know anything. About Operation Honeymoon. Oh, that's right. This is the first mention of it. Yes. His interrogator hears Charlie Baltimore is alive. The prisoner with the, the bald prisoner from before broke out to go after her. Yeah, the prisoner known as One-Eyed Jack, which that's a pretty clever name, I have to say. I would have gone with One-Eyed Willie myself. Yeah, but a One-Eyed Jack is a thing in cards. 
Oh, nice. Not a you know a villain from uh, Goonies. Batman. <laughs> Goonies. Yeah, but One Eye Jack also sounds like a Batman villain. All right, fair. As <laughs> one of the Royal Flush Gang. <laughs> Probably. Also, we find out like apparently the guy, the, the torturer, reports to someone called Daedalus, and, and we find out that Daedalus, you know, is concerned that if Charlie Baltimore's still alive, she might contact the old man in Massachusetts. So we've got all these little hints of, all right, there's a larger thing going on, and we're not sure what. By the way, Charlie Baltimore, how do you feel about that name? Um, nah, I, I don't know. It sounds made up, but it may have just been a cover identity. It should have been if it wasn't. <laughs> it's like a name that's like a superhero name. It's like it's not a name that real people actually have, but okay. So meanwhile, Sam, and this the movie is confusing because you have an actor named Sam and a character named Sam. That's why we Samantha. We'll go with character names, not actor names, unless we really don't remember their character names. Okay, so she's pushing her kid, Caitlin, to skate, mm-hmm. and she's really giving it to her, being really mean. First, she's being encouraging, and is like, you know, come on, you you can do it, you're one of the X-Men. I like that subtle X-Men joke, because this is the 90s. And X-Men was really popular in the 90s, I oh, guess? Oh, yes. Jim Lee X-Men... And the cartoon, it was all big. Okay. The cartoon, I could see. <laughs> she pushed her so hard that the kid ends up, up fracturing her wrist. Yeah, and she has a nice quote here. Stop being a little baby and get up. Life is pain. Get used to it. Yeah, I can really see why that landlady liked Charlie Baltimore. <laughs> she seems like a real fluffy, friendly, kind person. Okay, well, but, and we'll find out later, she never met Charlie Baltimore. The landlady met Samantha. She did? Yeah. Oh, was this Mrs. Post-Amnesia? No. Well, huh? I'll, well, I'll, I mean, if you wanted to get into it now, it was her cover identity before she got amnesia, and she adopted oh, the cover yes. identity. So she she met Samantha as the fl- you know very nice, kind person that we see Samantha is now, which was a cover identity. Oh, I remember. They do explain that. They're like, she believed her cover identity was real. Yeah. Okay. So then they get back home, and One-Eyed Jack attacks. Mm-hmm. Using this really weird-looking fire shotgun with two barrels, otherwise known as a shotgun. No, but it had like two vertical barrels, and one looked a little different. I know it was kind of fast. Uh, do you know what I'm talking I about? Mean, no, I do not. Okay, forget it. It is a ridiculously overpowered shotgun, seemingly, because it fires a hole in the wall and like blows through the outer wall. Yeah, or something. Yeah. In this fight, Caitlin almost gets killed no fewer than three times. Right, because she almost gets hit by a shotgun blast. Let's see. She twice. Twice. She gets thrown out of the, w- the hole in the wall, which thankfully is right across from where the treehouse is. So she lands in the treehouse. Yeah, that treehouse was a good investment. They get a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah. There's also a good nice part I liked where... Samantha uses the refrigerator door to block a bullet, mm-hmm. which seems like something that could actually happen. Hey, if it can protect you from a nuclear blast, it can stop a bullet. Uh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> There's an older refrigerator as well. But she eventually defeats One-Eyed Jack with the use of a pie. Well, yeah, pie, and then breaks his neck. And again, we get the echo words of, chefs do this. I think she's really starting to realize, all right, I definitely wasn't a chef. There's something more to all of this. Mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson shows up, and... Mitch? Okay, yes. Mitch Hennessy. I should call him Hennessy, because that's a ridiculous <laughs> name, too. It's like the liquor. <laughs> Hennessy shows up, and she leaves with him to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah, well, before this, I found that was interesting. So he shows up because he's found out about, you know, more inf- information and wants right. to 
tell her, but he sees that, oh yeah, the door's off its hinges, there's a hole in the wall, and he has Caitlin in the car because he was like he didn't know what was going on, and she ran outside or ran out of the treehouse. Yeah. And cops arrive and they almost shoot him because hey, it's a black man in front of a house with a giant hole on it. Yeah, and they're gonna make terrible assumptions. Fortunately, well, they get talked down fairly easily. Yeah, well, Caitlin actually says, "Don't shoot him," and, uh, and he says, "Yeah, don't shoot me." Mm-hmm. Is he, is he holding man. a gun at this part or no? no? No. Okay. They prepare to leave. Samantha leaves Caitlin with her phone number and a key for her bear named Mister Perkins. Yeah. So the key is uh, like we said before is the only thing that was found on her person and. Samantha has been keeping it on a charm bracelet, and so she puts a charm bracelet around the teddy bear, mm-hmm. which, of course, you know is going to come back into play later on. Yes. We get a, a brief scene with the bad guys, Timothy, and the real Mr. Perkins, who's a person. Mm-hmm. He rants about the intelligence community. So you wanted some spy stuff. Here you go. Not just anywhere, though. In the White House kitchens. Yes. Hints that it's residual memory names. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so the president is berating Mr. Perkins for losing Charlie Baltimore, who we found Mm -hmm. out was trained in a counter-assassination. What year did this come out? 96? Yep. What year did Goldeneye come out? Earlier than that, I think. I I think it was like early 90s. Mm -mm, I think it might have been 95. Okay, so the year before this. Uh, Okay. But they use the, the phrase... Relic of the Cold War, which makes me think of Goldeneye and that whole speech about M dressing down Bond. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we find out that she worked for this operation called Chapter, which we don't get any more information. And we find out the president is cutting funding to intelligence services and putting it into health care. Ah, if only. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> the plan for our, our heroes is they're going to go and see Samantha's old fiance, or not, it wouldn't be Samantha's, it would be Charlie's old fiance. In the box of stuff, there's a postcard with her old fiance. We also get a fun scene with Mitch, like, singing and getting lyrics wrong. He says the song is, I'm not talking about the linens, which I always thought was like, I'm not talking about millennium or something like that. I thought it was, I'm not talking about commitment. What was the actual lyric? I think the actual lyric is, I'm not talking about moving in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's I really awkwardly that. phrased. Right? Okay. <laughs> you know, every now and then Reddit threads have funny ones that are like, what's your favorite misheard lyric? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are from songs I don't know, because, yeah. you know, I'm kind of out of touch. <laughs> but one that I liked was, let's pee in the corner. <laughs> let's pee in the spot. Light. Oh, man. Wow. All right, back to the movie. They're driving. There's this conversation about misogyny and, like, the male gaze about women. And it just goes on and on and on. And just when you think it's done, they keep going. Well, Um, it starts because Mitch basically hangs out of a window staring at this girl running. He didn't hang out of a window. He would correct (laughs) you about that. He just said he looked and he commented. But, but I will say it's refreshing that in a movie in the 90s, they at least had this discussion about catcalling. Yes, but it went, like I just said, it, it, went, it goes on for too long. It's like, okay, we get it. Well, he's, mis- he's a misogynist. Do she doesn't like it. Too long, on, on, too long on about this. <laughs> okay. We find out that there's also a book in the box inscribed to Charlie from Nathan Waldman, PhD. And this is where we meet him, Waldman. And it's Brian Cox. There's 
I will say because it's a Shane Black movie, the dialogue is usually pretty witty, and I like this bit about mm-hmm. the, him talking about his wife's cat. Oh, oh the wife's dog that's licking oh, itself. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, she calls him at home, but he doesn't want to talk because he thinks the phone might be tapped, which it is. Mm-hmm. And they arrange a meeting the next day at a New Jersey train station. And yeah, like you said, the CIA or someone was listening in. Mm-hmm. They signaled to Daedalus, we've got her. And so in a motel, we get Mitch smoking and drinking. Samantha's calling Caitlin. We find out that Mitch has a habit of singing what he's doing so he doesn't forget. Usually with the same tune. Yes. Is it so he remembers it? Yeah, that's what he says. There's some things that he sings that I feel like he doesn't need to remember, but that's just me. Well, uh, it comes in later, which is like, oh, that's a good way to remember which thing you have in which pocket. Yeah, that's true. And then also, Samantha's practicing her signature as Charlie Charlie Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Yes. It seems like more of Charlie is seeping out because Samantha's cursing more Mm -hmm. than she used to. And then she goes into her suitcase and it has a false bottom. Ah, so cool. Wait a second. Where did the suitcase come from? This is the stuff that they got from the landlord. Okay, that makes sense. This is not like the suitcase that she brought when she packed up stuff she could go with Mitch. But that's what I thought. That's what I thought the suitcase was. I thought she was found in the river with the suitcase like sitting next to her and nobody looked (laughs) in it for eight years. No, but they say the only thing found was that she had on her was the key. Well, either way, it's confusing because Uh, I'm like, where did this suitcase come from? Well, in the car, if you're paying attention, you see her like going through all the clothes. It's like, I don't have any connection to any of this. Okay, so she presumably has two suitcases. She has the one she packed at home and then this other one. Yeah. Okay, there we go. But anyway, inside the false bottom mm -hmm. is a rifle, a sniper rifle, disassembled. Yes. Field strip, yeah. She like freaks out, but she assembles it with muscle memory. It's all together. She looks in the mirror and sees that reflection again with the blonde slick back hair. She panics and screams. And then Mitch comes into the room. It's like a horror movie. The reflection like leans out of the mirror and like cuts her throat. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like the evil, the part of the evil dead too. Hennessy hears it, <laughs> runs in, she fires the gun and makes like a tennis ball size hole in the wall. It needs to be high powered so it can fire at a distance. So if it hits very close up, yeah, it's going to make a giant hole. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's not realistic, uh, but, but if it, it hit, it hit him, he probably would have died uh, immediately. I see your point. Yes, no, yeah, he would be dead. Even so in Hollywood land. <laughs> so then he freaks out. He's like, we got to get out of here. And he has this whole thing about how he used to be a cop and then he went to prison, even though he kind of deserved to go to prison because we'll he actually did later, yeah. what they accused him of doing. But then he's like, I won't go back to prison. Yeah. And that's his like, so in screenwriting, characters have like a want and then a need. So his want here is that he doesn't want to go back to prison, but everything he does in the movie contradicts that. Everything after this point. No, before it too, when he's pretending to be a cop All to scam right. people. Okay, that's I'd say that's different. He's, he's, it's not that he's worried about, because that's a small-time gig, whereas this is like, all right, sniper rifles in hidden hidden suitcases that's like on a whole nother scale to him yes it clearly is on a whole different scale but i'm just surprised that if this is such a big motivation to avoid prison which is a good motivation but you'd think he would be the one being a school teacher really keeping 
his nose out of the dark corners of society. Yeah, but if you remember in the same speech, he makes this big speech about how he's never done a thing right in his whole life. So mm. even if he tried oh. to do that, it's not he would nope. he couldn't do it. Yeah, it's like a self-sabotaging character where he wants to go to prison, but he can't break out of the old habits. Oh, that's very deep. That's mm -hmm. a good insight. Yep. At this point is when he decides, all right, fine, I'll take you to the train station. Yeah, so he's staying involved. Mm -hmm. Even though he really doesn't want to be involved, he stays involved anyway. So they go to the train station. Samantha walks up to the bar, even though it looks like it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. It's like, it's noon. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, it's not 8 o'clock, it's noon. But also, she may have just been going up there to get a glass of water or something. It's a train station bar, and it looks like it's the only place you can get anything food or drink-wise. So it's not like she's necessarily going up the train. Well, the reason why I'm a little confused is because the previous scene, it was the middle of the night. It was like uh, pitch black outside. So if it's noon, we're just like hung around for like seven hours in the car. Well, I guess how, they had to okay. drive there. To Jersey to Pennsylvania? That's a long drive. Depends where in Pennsylvania you are. Eh. Pennsylvania is a big state. Okay, but even from the border, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I'm just thinking the other way around. Let's not worry about it, though. Yeah. So she goes into the bar, and Timothy, the torturer from before, <laughs> tries Watch to like make drink. a move on her. <laughs> yes, but it doesn't work, and he whispers to his buddies on the radio, "Do them both." Yeah, well, well the reason he's doing this is just to see if if she remembers him at all, yes. and she clearly does not. So, which is interesting because later. When she does remember, he doesn't want to kill her. But now he does. <laughs> so we have this old guy coming up to them with a newspaper. And mm -hmm. they think that he that he's Waldman. Yes. You know, is that Waldman? It could be. I, th I think so. And then with the newspaper, he pulls a silenced pistol out of it. Fires on them. And I like Samantha's move here where Mitch has... Na -na 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 -na, gun in my left pocket. Na -na 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 -na, keys in my right. <laughs> Switch that. I think it was his right pocket now. I think about it. Yeah. She puts her hand in his jacket pocket and fires the gun through the pocket. Yes. Never see it coming. No. Run out of there. They grab an Uzi from the assassin and they get surrounded by all these goons. Action scenes like this mm -hmm. are more upsetting to watch now since 1996 because of like mass shootings. Ah, so do you remember yeah. the shot after they run up the stairs and it shows like many people dead? in yeah. in the lobby and they're yeah. not all government assassins a lot of them were just people like civilians yeah i don't know if we're gonna see a scene like this in future movies oh i don't think so you're right. you're completely right or if it is like this it'll be less like this in this one it's supposed to seem more fun necessarily like that's the tone of it really like exciting is the word yeah, I would not, choose. Not yeah. Fun. exciting yes good good good, good call mm -hmm. whereas if we get something in the future like that it'll be more tragic there's even like a part where a bellhop gets shot oh, and like that's right, lapses yeah. onto a thing. And it's not filmed as like, oh my God, this is so sad. It's, yeah. So anyway, right, so they, point, they yeah. run away, they escape upstairs, someone throws a grenade after them. Mitch takes the Uzi and then gives her the pistol and says, I've got two rounds left in this, we'll go out shooting. And they're about to go and the grenade gets thrown right at their feet. Which is so smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's, that's what grenades move. are used for. Yeah. Never mind, run. And so they run, they're running t down this long hallway where there's no other exit, and then there's a window. So Sam grabs the Uzi from Mitch, shoots at the window. They both jump out, even though it's a three-story drop. So example number three of someone flying through the air. <laughs> what was number two? Caitlin jumping to the uh, treehouse. All right, what's number one, then? Gina Davis flying out of the car. Ah, good point. All right, fair. All right. <laughs> So the jump out and the grenade makes like a wall of fire. 
<laughs> like it's like backdraft. Yeah. It, it, my knowledge of grenades comes from Band of Brothers, and they don't do that. Yeah. So this part also reminded me of Aim for the Bushes. I think it always will. Every time <laughs> someone jumps out of the building, I'm going to think of Aim for the Bushes. What was that from? The other guys. I don't think I've ever watched that. It's good. Okay. Anyways, I think you like it. As they're falling, she's shooting at the ground. I'm like, what is that going to do? Well, you it does out. do something. Yeah. That it was not the ground. It was ice. And the mm-hmm. bullets broke the ice and they fell right into the water. And then for once, we didn't get a scene of them trapped under the water and barely escaping. <laughs> which is like uh, something I hate to watch movies because I'm really afraid of that happening to me. Uh, so this scene reminded me of Princess Leia. Helping them oh, escape the tension block. I, see, I can see that. And so we have another one more goon left who's about to kill them. And mm-hmm. this is when we get Waldman, and he runs over the guy. Yes. He says, get in the car, come with me if you want to live. And they do. <laughs> they drive away. There's a line here where I like where he says, if you talk in front of him, i.e. Hennessy, you may have to kill him later. He gives Sam a gun if she needs to fire out the back. And Mitch is like, well, how many guns do you have, old man? He has three guns. Shoulder, hip, and one next to Mr. Wally, which apparently is the name for his penis. Yes, and he explains that Samantha was a cover. She's really Charlie Baltimore, who is a... I don't have it written down exactly what he says, but something along the lines of, you were an assassin working for the U.S. government. That's pretty much... Yeah, that's a, that's what I have down here. Naturally, Hennessy laughs at this because it sounds like something out of a movie. Yeah. Samantha's like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm in the goddamn PTA. Then quit. Yeah. <laughs> Find out that Waldman trained her, and mm-hmm. her father was an and her father's friend, Mister Perkins, adopted and recruited her for a chapter. And you'd but think there'd be some kind of emotional scene between her and Perkins based on this backstory, but there is <laughs> not. Uh, but yeah, chapter is a black bag operation operating out of the State Department, which I thought was yeah. You told us in the movie, State Department means CIA. But this uh, is a fictional movie, so it's not like the characters have to maintain deniability. Yeah, so why wouldn't you just say CIA? Why would you say State Department? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense, especially because we've already saw the CIA file in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. We also find out she was assigned to take out an arms dealer known as Daedalus and his enforcer Timothy. But yes. she failed and she elected to die instead until she reemerged as Samantha. Right. And now Daedalus knows she's alive and Mitch doesn't believe any of all this. He thinks it's a setup. Mm-hmm. And it's questioning, okay, how do they know how to find them at train station? And he grabs a tire iron, hits Waldman over the back of the head, and steals his car. Samantha comes too, so they're basically ditching. Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Waldman. <laughs> also, this part is where Hennessy starts to dress like he's a professional golfer. <laughs> well, he's wearing Waldman's clothes, basically. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like he has opportunities to change his clothes at some point. I think but... he likes it. I mean, that hat, I dig that hat. I'm glad that you do. <laughs> they don't seem to believe anything that Waldman says, but I'm kind of like, why? Because why are it's they ridiculous and it sounds like out of a movie. But they just had seven people with automatic weapons try to kill them. True. What other explanation are you going to get? So they stick with the plan, and they go to see David Morse, who's been in so many things. I did not recognize him. He was Mark Harmon's antagonist for a long time in NCIS, just to pick okay. one example. He plays Luke who Charlie was supposed to get engaged to. And he seems like he has a great Clark Kent and Smallville life. <laughs> yeah, so he's a farmer or something, woodsy. Lives on a ranch, yeah. Yeah. So they're talking, Samantha, starting to remember all these details about him, including that he pees sitting down. Yeah. So Mitch is still suspicious. 
and sends Mitch away to, while her and Luke just talk. And as he's waiting, singing a song again, Waldman gets a drop on him. Yes. <laughs> we have this great scene where he had Luke's address written in his notebook underneath the, the address for a topless bar and above the picture of a, what appears to be a penis. And yes. Mitch says, it's a duck, not a dick. <laughs> Does beg in the question of why you would draw a duck either. Mm-hmm. He likes to draw. Apparently, yes. But the reason why Waldman is so upset is because Luke is not Luke. He's the target. Yeah, so we find out the postcard was to Uncle Max, which means the CIA. So now they're talking the CIA, not the State Department. Right. And engaged <laughs> means she's locked up to the target. So, yeah, he's not a former lover. He's a target. Mitch, actually, is the one who comes jumps to the conclusion, oh, crap, this was Daedalus. Luke is Daedalus. Okay, I didn't go back and watch the scene again with this yeah. knowledge, but it seems like Luke knows Samantha. Yeah, because but she tried how? to kill him. Oh, so he's, like, just playing along, in other words? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he, he knows what's going on. Well, I guess his people told him that she was losing her memory, and he's just a good actor. So once this realization happens, a chopper shows up. And trucks. And all these guys. Luke punches Samantha, not for the last time. Oh. Yeah, we learned Daedalus is a person. I guess I wasn't paying attention because I thought he was an organization. <laughs> That's just vague, yeah. And then the next part is a very long scene where he tortures Charlie with a water wheel. I didn't think it was that long. It was a water mill, yeah. Water mill, yeah. We also get a little bit of exposition. Yeah, she's tied to a water mill. We found out Daedalus is trying to pull the biggest job of his career, and they keep torturing her by plunging her into the water and then bring her back out. And first time she goes under the water, she sees Waldman's body down there. And we find out from Timothy that Operation Honeymoon is on schedule. So presumably that's the name of the, you know, the biggest operation, biggest job. Mm -hmm. They pull her up, taunt her, put her back in. And this time when she goes under, she gets flashbacks of when formerly two-eyed Jack tried to kill her. And she stabbed him in the eye. Mm -hmm. And now he's one-eyed Jack. Right. And so he shot her. She falls off the side of a cliff, the same cliff that, you know, she had the vision of with herself in the mirror. And this time when Daedalus pulls her up, she's Charlie. Yes. And Daedalus wants to know why she's resurfaced. She taunts him, says, you know, I think I need a bath. She puts him Mm -hmm. under one more time. As she goes under, she slips her hands out of the rope, grabs Waldman's crotch gun. Mm -hmm. And when she's pulled back up, she shoots Daedalus a bunch of times. Yeah, this was really good. Yeah. It's like James Bond-style death trap. <laughs> a little bit more serious. And then she just, I like how she just kind of kills him. Mm-hmm. Like, they talk a little bit first, but yeah. none of this you're going to prison stuff. Because mm-hmm. she's an assassin. Yeah. Right. She finds Mitch, who's, like, tied up and naked, naked in a basement. He hears, is like, she shoots a bunch of people. And then they go to what looks like Atlantic City. Am I right about that? Some kind of major city, but it's not New York. And then they say yeah. it's in New Jersey no. later. So, yeah, presumably, yes. Charlie showers, cuts her hair, bleaches it, puts on a different style of makeup. So it seems like the old life is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Mitch wakes up in the suite that they're in. Bandage from his wound is seeping, so she distracts him from the pain of pulling out, ripping off the bandage by flashing him. Mm-hmm. Mitch doesn't believe that Samantha's gone, but Charlie wants to go back to work for Chapter. Well, he also says, I kind of liked the old you. Yeah. And then this is something that I'm wondering now is, like, why he's sticking around. I guess he does owe her his life. Yeah, and I think he also just wants to find out what the hell is up now. He's, like, involved. Again, it's like Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's like, you're involved now, so keep going. 
So she says, okay, everything's good. I'm going to go back to Mr. Perkins, get debriefed. Mm-hmm. Daedalus is dead, so everything's fine, but there's still like 45 minutes left of the movie, so you know it's not fine. Yeah, so she calls Perkins, says mm-hmm. that she killed Daedalus, and that she wants to come back in. And she says she doesn't want to go out and go to a safe house, but she wants to play it her way. Yeah. And we find out that Perkins was working with Timothy and Daedalus, and that Operation Honeymoon starts in 24 hours, and they want to get rid of Charlie before then. Yes. So it goes all the way to the top, in other words. Well, not the top. The president's not involved. Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) So Mitch calls Trin, who was his assistant, who was faking to be a prostitute earlier. Says that, you know, they need to meet. He says that, you know, this whole thing's gone crazy. I'll call from the same payphone at midnight with details. But we find out that this is a whole setup that Charlie was testing Perkins because she doesn't trust him. She thinks that Perkins tapped the phone in Mitch's office. Well, Hennessy makes the good point that even this was mentioned when he was ditching Waldman. He's like, mm-hmm. someone tapped Waldman's phone mm-hmm. and someone knew to tap them. So there's something going on. Yeah. So they're right not to trust Perkins, in other words. Back in the suite, Charlie tries to seduce Mitch. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mitch says that she's doing this to try to like erase some man. And mm-hmm. Mitch tells her, you know, call your kid. It's two days before Christmas. It's like, oh, yeah, she has a kid. I forgot about that. Yeah. So she leaves, walks down the street. A guy comes up to her, and she thinks that Perkins sent him. Seems like he has, because the guy pushes her down an alley, holds a gun at at Charlie. And Mitch comes up and (laughs) has a gun on him. And she's like, you don't think I can take care of this one guy? I mean, she makes a good point. It's just one guy. She takes that guy out. A bunch of other headhunters come in. She kills all of them, too. Make their way out of Jersey. Or at least try to. Yeah. Well, she tries to get rid of Hennessy but it doesn't take. He lies there on the road until she comes back around again and picks him up. Yeah, because she realizes that the reason she got rid of him in the first place is because she realized she doesn't need him anymore. And he's a bit of a liability, so it's interesting how originally he was the tough guy. And it's the and role she needed this help. Yep. Yeah, and actually, I would say this is one of Samuel L. Jackson's least tough roles. Mm, I can see that. Seems like he's um. often scared, often worried, <laughs> often doesn't know what to do, and it's a nice change of pace. Yeah. She's going to leave the country, and she needs a passport and cash. And she has that in a storage locker, which is accessible only by the key that is on the teddy bear. So I guess she needs his help to go back and get the teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Yep. I suppose. So they go back to Pennsylvania. She Does she have the rifle with her at this point? I think she, yeah, she does. Yeah, she's carrying it around, which is so strange. <laughs> yep. So she infiltrates her own house. Fortunately, she still has her key. I, mean, I think she like uses a lockpick. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't look that closely at how she got in. But it would make sense that she has a key because it is her house. True, true. Oh, whatever. The yeah. bear still has the key. It's a good thing the kid didn't wear the key. I was worried the bear was going to be with the kid because it seemed like something that she would just carry around all the time. Earlier in the movie, she's like, is the bear watching us skate? Is he close? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, well, I'm surprised it's there. Yeah, it's but- like, how are you going to get it? That would have been a good thing to put in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but that would make it drag on even longer. Right. So she gets the key. She observes through the scope her kid in the play and then howls there, too. Mm-hmm. But and as she's watching, the bad guys show up. Yep. Yeah, Mitch honks the horn to get Charlie's attention. Mitch is being chased by the bad guys. So Charlie grabs some skates that were outside, skates across the pond to get to Mitch, shoots the tires off of the car, which crashes, and then kills the henchmen. Yeah, it was brutal. She just like, bam, 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 yep. and they're all dead. Yeah. And then the car, like, slides across the ice and it hits a <laughs> snowbank and somehow doesn't blow up, which is what I was expecting. I was it surprised, to yeah. 
But in the midst of all this, Timothy kidnaps Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Just like what's his name from Patriot Games, Sean. So they're driving to the safe deposit box. Mitch thinks that Samantha wasn't entirely an act. She gets a call on the cell phone that she had given to Caitlin, and it's from Timothy. Timothy routes her to a motel with a landline. Yeah. Um, so that, that says, you know, I'll call you here in 15 minutes. But they decide, no, we're not going to do this. In fact, we're going to try to trace the call. How? Great question. Why not? By committing a felony is the answer. <laughs> exactly. So they drive to a phone company, hold everyone at gunpoint, make an employee run a patch so that phone from the motel gets picked up at the phone company. I like that Sam Jackson fakes being the hotel like front desk, transfers the call. I guess he's not worried about prison because they keep doing criminal stuff. <laughs> and let's hope that there's no security cameras in that uh, phone company. Mm-hmm. So they find where they're holding the kid. There's a brief scene where she's like, we're going to do this. Here's the plan. But she doesn't seem to think that she's going to survive it. Like, it's like yeah. a suicide mission. Also, the fact that it's at Niagara Falls is what we find out. Yes, that's true. So I also noticed around here is that, you notice that throughout the course of the movie, Hennessy gets more and more beat up. <laughs> yes. And she's like, fine, until the end. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where he's definitely the his least tough, at his least toughest, weakest. Yeah. How do you? How would you say that? <laughs> Least tough, I think, could work. Yeah, you could also say weakest. Yeah. So this part now reminds me of Taken because the kid is taken, and you have a former CIA secret agent person, mm-hmm. and then especially the part with the people. I have not actually seen Taken, but we can cover it later. Okay. Also, throughout this, we find out that she slept with Timothy. Yeah, that's mentioned at some point. But yeah, so she goes in. Looks like a normal looking house from the outside. Yeah. Or actually, it's not a house. It's like a like a motel. Because mm-hmm. it has and numbered rooms. At the falls, there's a helicopter that, with Perkins that arrives. Charlie goes up to one of these rooms, mm-hmm. points her gun at the peephole, and when the guard looks through, she just shoots him Oof. through the peephole. What a way to go. But there's no other guards in the room. No other alarms or anything. Well, and the reason she knew to look in that particular room is because there was a candle in the window, which goes back to when Samantha was about to leave. She told Caitlin to light a candle for her. It's like her beacon home. Boy, it's lucky that they happen to have a candle and that the right. bad guys let her light one. I mean, she's a kid. Well, I, well, she kept, I presume that she kept the candle with her all the time. Like on her person? Yeah. Like, because the mom put it in her jacket and all that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I assume that. And not, I mean, I don't know. It seems like a very woodsy place that would have candles. Whatever. It, it's fine. It's just try, I'm just trying to be difficult. So <laughs> as they're escaping, it turns out to be a trap. Mm-hmm. It's a trap. So there's all these spotlights come on. Timothy, Timothy behind it all. Mitch, yeah. But he says, it's kind of funny. He makes an announcement. He's like, I want her alive and unharmed. <laughs> but then they start opening up with automatic weapons. <laughs> They like both are flying everywhere. Uh, this is more near-death experiences for Kalen too. Yep. <laughs> they run into this basement where there's all this gasoline around them. Right. Timothy calls down into the basement, says, it smells like a lot of gas. It'd be terrible if I shot it up or threw a grenade down there. So Charlie <laughs> surrenders with Caitlin. Yes. So I'm like, <laughs> oh no, another interrogation, <laughs> another death trap. We just did uh, this. Yeah, but this one's good. I like this one. So, Find out what the plan was. It's a monologue. <laughs> he does a monologue. Timothy does a monologue. It's unbelievable. Oh, come on. I thought, I thought it was a good monologue, though. Because the whole reason for this, budget cuts. 
Yeah, that is kind of a funny motivation. I like it. So they say Operation Honeymoon is a fundraiser. They mention the World Trade Center attacks in 1993 and that one of the bombers claimed the CIA had prior advanced knowledge and that apparently the diplomat who issued terrorist visa was CIA. And now Honeymoon will kill 4,000 people. They'll blame it on Muslims and get all the funding they need. Crazy, right? But we'll talk about this in our Spy Fact for Spy Fiction. Okay, I'm glad you did some, because I thought this would have been a good thing to look up, but I did not. <laughs> this also reminds me of The Ultimates. I think we might have talked about this already. Did you read the first volume of The Ultimates? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you remember how they unleashed the Hulk in New York City so the Ultimates have someone to fight? Oh, that's right. I did forget about that. Okay. So he's like, okay, so we need this plan, and we're gonna, we have this chemical truck, and we're going to blow it up, and it's going to kill thousands of people. It's a pretty simple plan for this giant elaborate conspiracy, mm-hmm. but whatever. Yeah, so they lock up Charlie and Caitlin in this freezer. We find out that Caitlin is Timothy's daughter. They have the same eyes. Which I guess constitutes proof. I wouldn't go on Dr. Phil and try to claim that, but whatever. Yeah, but I mean, when, who else would she have slept in that with in that time period? It doesn't seem like Charlie makes the best decisions, so I feel like it could be a lot of people. Um... But um, apparently Timothy doesn't seem to care. No, he doesn't. And he locks him in, turns the temperature to 50 below zero. Oof. Mm-hmm. As soon as this happens, Charlie grabs a meat hook that's hanging from the ceiling, starts scraping right near the door, makes a hole that goes right under the door. And as this is going on, Timothy's activating the bomb, and Charlie grabs the doll. Apparently the doll... Oh, we've skipped over the doll. Well, there's not much to skip. The doll is full of gasoline. Oh, no, no, not that part, but the fact that Perkins gave Charlie, uh, gave Caitlin the doll, because it's Christmas. Sure. Yeah, so she has this this doll with her. Doll with her, yeah. And the doll, it seems, it's one of those dolls where you can fill it up with water and it, and it can pee out. Yes. So she has, so they filled it up with gasoline. She takes, I like Charlie takes out Caitlin's retainer to use it to, like, guide where the gasoline's gonna go. Right, but the retainer sort of came out of nowhere. Like, how hard would it have been in the dialogue to be like, remember to wear your retainer today, Caitlin? Okay, Mom. No, I, I like it this way, because, all right, you kids have retainers. That's not a really big deal. And whereas if you make it like that, it's just too much too much telling. There's lots of telling already, but yeah, that's but that fine. Was a we can agree yeah, just, yeah, okay. And so she makes a trail that leads away from the door and mm. uses the meat hook to try to create a spark. And it's not working. By the way, in my understanding, gasoline doesn't explode or light on fire as easily in real life as it does in the movies. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> or else we'd have a lot more exploding gas stations <laughs> in the real world. Anyways, as this is going on, Timothy goes to see Mitch. Again, another interrogation. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, Mitch is, you know, mouthing off at him. He throws a knife right at his crotch, barely misses. Yep. And gives Mitch the choice of die by a gun or a, a knife. Yes. Mitch, you know, says that Charlie called Washington that come morning this place will be crawling with feds. And back in the freezer, Charlie still can't get a spark to light. She's she really seems pretty crazy. sure they're going to die. Yeah. But Caitlin's like, Mommy, don't cry. I always keep the matches you gave me inside my cast. so I can." This really felt like a deus ex machina. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, all right. Hey, you were the one who was talking about having a line about the retainer. They had a line about the matches. The line about the matches always keep them on your person all the time? No, but the fact that it was there, <laughs> that like she put it in her jacket, so she kept it. Okay. So I she- liked this better than the water wheel scene. I will say that. Really? 
I don't know. I like the water boosting a lot. Okay. Anyway, so she lights the trail of gasoline, put enough gasoline to lead to the other tanks. So there's a big explosion. Yeah, another one. It causes Mitch to f- get thrown out the window into a tree. Also, so that's, hotel that's five. I think that's number five of people getting thrown through the air. And as he, as a guard approaches him, he grabs a knife that Timothy threw at him and throws it right into that guard. Yeah, apparently he can throw knives too. Mm. Yep. She tells Caitlin to run. Caitlin makes the great decision to hide in the tanker. And can't get out again. Uh-uh. Also, Timothy's still alive somehow. Sure. He can survive anything, apparently. Right. And they're going to go ahead with a plan. So Mitch calls Charlie, says that Caitlin's in the truck. And Mitch is right. going to go in to go get Caitlin. And Charlie's going to cover him. And well, he he- it heavily really implies here that, that Hennessy's going to die. So he gets really close to the tanker. And like Charlie's taking out all these goons around him. But then he gets shot in the ankle and then in the chest. Yes. And Charlie runs to get to the tanker. She grabs a car. She steps into the road. A car drives towards her. She just shoots the driver. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, good. It turned out that the driver was a bad guy. But what if it wasn't? I mean, I assume anyone over in that area where there's a giant explosion that happened, probably one of the bad guys. Doesn't Samuel Jackson say earlier not to assume? I think he does. Uh, But that's how. All right. Okay, yeah, so she drives in through the parade, and everyone, like, swarms her car, so she jumps out, runs up to the tanker, and hijacks it by pointing the gun at, like, the poor schmo who's driving it by himself. There's no guard in the seat next to him. Hmm. Seems a little obvious that they would have that, but whatever. She crashes the tanker through this wall, and then tips it well, onto a bridge. The reason she crashes it is because the brake lines have been cut. Who, who cut them? Or, or they got damaged somehow. Oh, they got damaged. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not working. The brakes are not working. So she's like, the only way to slow it down is to crash through that wall. Mm-hmm. And then it gets tipped onto the side. And thankfully, not on the side of where the box that Caitlin was hiding in was. No, that's a good point. Though the box may have survived it because it looked kind of strong. Mm-hmm. But it lands on a bridge, which is right next to the Canadian border. Yep. And also near a dam. So it's a good thing she didn't land on the dam. That would have been a problem. Mm-hmm. Timothy comes back. They have a fight. Yeah, they fight. They go into this construction area. Mm-hmm. And... Did they like fall through the through yeah. the bridge? And this part reminded me of the end of Batman, the nineteen eighty nine one. Yeah. So they're like hanging they... off this like net, mm-hmm. which he... they manage to grab onto. They're fighting over a gun. It looks like Timothy dies. He falls Timothy into falls. water. Charlie got wounded in that whole attack. Yeah, she gets stabbed, and apparently pretty badly, as it turns yeah. out. It didn't look that bad, but I guess it got kind of deep. And so she gra- climbs back up. She gets Caitlin out of the, mm-hmm. of the box. And this chopper comes to fire on them. Charlie shoots at the men in the chopper. One of them falls down, gets stuck in these Christmas lights that are hanging from the bridge. Yep. And she tells Caitlin to run. And there's only seven minutes till the bomb's going to go off. Plenty and of time. Charlie collapses. Caitlin runs back. She's, she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't. I left you, Mom. And she starts off really sort of sweet. You know, get up, Mom. And then she like snaps and is like, repeats the whole, life is pain. Get up. Child acting. <laughs> hey, I thought it was good. Yeah, but it's just funny. It's, it's like the flash where they have their quarter pep talks. It's like, <laughs> give her a pep talk. She'll be able to recover from that knife wound. No problem. Yeah. And so as this happens, a bunch of 
looks like cops arrive as well as the big rig actually we never talked about well we talked briefly about it but there's also this car that has a frozen body of uh of a like a patsy guy, yeah who's gonna be the patsy for this whole deal right and there's this big rig with that car inside it mm -hmm. which we saw earlier so charlie gets up timothy is still not dead no way he just keeps going back for more he gets picked up by the chopper Charlie calls over the radio for help. Which is like, what kind of action hero are you? Action heroes don't call for help. <laughs> Not that I really mind the subversion of what you'd expect, but it's kind of interesting. Especially since yeah. the whole movie is like, she's just so tough. She can take on anybody. Yeah, but I mean, even at a certain point, this is like, there's a bomb, she's nearly dead. Right. Or, yeah. But fortunately, Mitch is back. He was in the car. So when we last saw Hennessy, he was right next to the car with the planted body. And in the rig presumably he climbed into that car and now he's there he hears over the radio charlie calling and drives the car out of the the, the big truck and this was a pretty impressive stunt because there was this agent guy or something with a microphone or a megaphone or something and he's like i don't remember what he's saying he's like you're we're gonna kill you or whatever so mitch drives out and the agent like dives like does a baseball <laughs> sliding into home like dive and he like barely avoids it Ooh. So I was like, that's a really good stunt if it was a stunt. I don't think it was done with CGI or anything. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. And so as Mitch is driving, he goes over to where Charlie is, gets Caitlin in the car, and mm -hmm. Timothy is up in the chopper now. Yes. And so what Charlie does is she sees that the body from before is hanging from the Christmas lights, has a gun on it. And so it's only burned, too, the body <laughs> that is. So she cuts the Christmas lights grabs onto the other end of it, uses the body as a counterweight to get propelled into the air, grabs the gun as she's flying up into the air past the body, and hangs there and shoots at Timothy, finally killing him, maybe? Presumably, yes. I can't remember what movie, I guess it's like an Errol Flynn movie that they uh, do these kinds of stunts, Robin Hood or whatever. Yeah, all the time. And those but it, like, it's pretty sweet. I it like never those. seems to get old. <laughs> but So his Timothy's body falls out of chopper and mm -hmm. lands on the tanker yes charlie caitlin and mitch drive in the car towards the canadian border and all these government agents who we because they're chasing after them we i presume work for perkins i presume everybody here are bad guys yeah yeah chasing after them and the tanker explodes immolating right. timothy yep so if he wasn't dead before he's definitely dead now finally did this part remind you of Goldeneye as well? It did. Him falling, dying, potentially, and then exploding. Yeah. <laughs> and they're driving away from another enormous wall of fire. This one makes sense, though. Because well, sure. it was a big explosion. It's not like tiny grenade ca causing a wall of fire. Yeah, but this part was like crazy. I don't know I, how they filmed this. I don't know. So all the government cars that were chasing after them caught up in the explosion. Now flying, flaming cars falling from the sky and so doesn't Kaylin say something very helpful like, like don't, don't run into the cars, the cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's a real fond of wisdom they make it across the bridge to the canadian border the car stops I, first time i saw this i wasn't sure it's was like because they stopped driving and i thought it was well mitch says he's too injured to drive but also the car seems to break down i don't yeah. think i picked up on that yeah it wasn't until i caught watching the second time that i noticed that so i was like why are they cutting across the border if all the bad guys are dead well and they're not wanted <laughs> Maybe they are wanted. All seems to be forgiven, and everyone gets a happy ending, except for everyone who's dead. Well, yes. Yeah, next, see Samantha. 
He's driving a convertible with a top down, gets a call from the president who mm-hmm. says, you know, that the country owes her a great debt. And the president says, you know, would it be out of line for me to ask you to come back in? I was like, yes, yes, it would. Would be a sizable paycheck. He's like, no, you'd be surprised how much a school teacher can make. And she says, as she's looking at the giant suitcase of money that presumably they, f- they picked up later on from the uh, safe deposit box or wherever they had it stored. Yeah, I guess they went back over the border to Buffalo and then went into Canada again. Mm-hmm. But I th- well, actually, they weren't necessarily in Canada because she has multiple IDs or whatever. So I mm-hmm. guess they could be anywhere. But I don't really blame her for not wanting to come back because it seems know, like the government was pretty willing to throw her to the wolves. Mm-hmm. This one rogue unit basically tried to kill her a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, but she does ask for one favor. Yes. We find out from Larry King that Perkins was indicted for treason. Mm-hmm. And they have on the show with Larry King, they have a CIA section chief, an intelligence analyst, and Mitch. Well, I guess Mitch wanted fame this whole time? No. What he wanted was respectability. You wanted to do the right thing? Or at least be acknowledged for being doing the right thing. Apparently, Mitch was singled out by the president in a press briefing for his role in this whole affair. So that's what the favor was. Right. And his ex-wife seems to be pretty impressed, and along kid. with his kid. Yep. But unfortunately, he has his moment in the sun, and he chooses a misogynistic joke oh, to tell God. on live national terrible. television. Which so I guess he hasn't that. changed that much. No. So that was disappointing to see. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Charlie is back with Hal. Mm-hmm. I guess Hal is, like, totally cool with all of this. Well, I mean, that's what he said when she was leaving to go find out what the truth was. Is that doesn't matter what you find. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I was pleasantly surprised because sometimes when you have this kind of plot where someone finds out something life-changing, whoever they were with before is not accepting of it and, you know, leaves and that's a whole other thing. But Hal, he seemed like a really stand-up guy. Turns out, yes, he is. Yeah, he's very easygoing, apparently. The most easygoing person in world history, I think. I mean, good for Samantha because it seems like she's back to being Samantha. Well, that's what they were getting at was they were like, well, maybe Samantha was the real you the whole time. Yeah. And Charlie was the cover. So they're having this meal outside in this nice big farmhouse with all this space, which I presume this is not the same house from before. This is a I choose to believe that it is Daedalus's house, and they just oh. took it over because he's not going to need it anymore. Uh, no, I meant the house they're living in in Pennsylvania. Oh, no, that was like in suburbia, and this yeah, is like a ranch. This is, like, this is the, somebody's new. I like that theory, though. That this is, <laughs> is Daedalus's house. No, I think they probably were in some foreign country. You think that's, they were foreign country? That's my, like, theory, yes. I thought they were just somewhere, like, they had bought a bunch of land somewhere else because they had somewhere out in the country in the U.S. So something I was wondering is you'd think an ex-CIA assassin would have more enemies. Uh-huh. She probably has tons of enemies. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I mean, it's not like uh, she's living above the radar. True. Anyway. And maybe they saw what happened to Dayless and like, yeah, maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, as they're having this meal outside, Hal is like, you know, I could just sit out here forever. And he's like, what about you? And Samantha takes a knife that they were you know, eat, using to eat and throws it to kill a fly or a bug that was buzzing around. Sweet. And Caitlin is there playing with some farm animals and it just zooms out. Off. And then we get our credits. Yeah. All right. So that was the long kiss. Good night. It's quite the movie. Yeah. I understand you have a little spy fact versus fiction for us. I do. So I did a little bit of wikipedia about the World Trade Center bombings of 1993, which... Right. I don't remember when I was growing up. Do you? No, it's because it didn't make that much 
Well, I mean, it obviously did make the news, but it wasn't yeah. like an international major story for weeks on end. Yeah. So what happened when this happened on February 26, 1993, a truck bomb detonated below the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And it was planned by a group of terrorists. Al-Qaeda was part of it, right? Yes. So one of the main architects was Ramzi Youssef, who spent time in an Al-Qaeda training, training camp. And his uncle uh, was Khalid Shaq Mohammed, who was later considered the principal architect of the September 11th attacks. Right. And that's not to be confused with Yusuf Islam, by the way, because that's Cat Stevens. Yeah. I didn't find anything that they said about those rumors about, you know, CIA or um, inside involvement. But I didn't do that much research on it. What I also have for Spy Fact for Spy Fiction is uh, they mentioned a black bag operations. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what that is. But just in case you don't, those are covert or clandestine entries into structures to obtain information for human intelligence operations. And now this usually entails breaking and entering into denied areas. Can uh, they involve like planting stuff too? They can, yeah. The term black yeah. bag refers to the small bag in which burglars carry their tools. Yep. And lastly, I have, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? No, I haven't. Okay, so there are multiple bridges that go, you know, between the U.S. and Canada near Niagara. But the one that they were on is called the Rainbow Bridge, not to be confused with Asgard. Or Rainbow Road from Super Mario. Or that, which is one of the main ways in. I've gone across it. Did not get blown up in 1995. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And lastly, and this is more of sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, but this is apparently Sam Jackson's favorite film, to rewatch into film. Really? Yeah. He liked it a lot. Yeah. Well, he gets to do a lot in it, so I can understand. But all right, go for him. All right. So, shall we get into our favorite quotes? Sure. A lot of my favorite ones we've done already, just going through them really quick. I liked Life is Pain and Get Used to It. I liked <laughs> That's a Duck, Not a Dick. I'll do two, if okay. you don't mind. The right. favorite ones is, even though it was a little too clever, I like the part where Samuel Jackson says, I'm saving your life. I would have been here sooner, but I was thinking up that ham and rye line. <laughs> I did like that one. It's a little too clever. Eh. And another one I like is near the end uh-huh. when Timothy gets a call on the radio by a red shirt. Uh-huh. Who's like, sir, I got stabbed with a knife. I think I'm dying. And he says, continue dying out. Yep. <laughs> My favorite quote was, everyone knows when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you an umption. Yeah, <laughs> that's some real wisdom from uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. He has a lot of good lines right oh, in that yeah. first scene. Yeah. <laughs> the Tarantino-esque scene. All right, so we've done the two things we usually do. So now it's time for our ratings on a scale of one to ten martinis, one being a terrible spy movie, ten being an amazing, incredible spy movie. How would we rate The Long Kiss Goodnight? Would you like to go first? I thought this movie was on the better side of okay, so I will give it six out of ten. Right. Like I said, it was really long, and it was a little bit repetitive. It was a lot of dialogue, fight assassins, dialogue, fight assassins, death trap, interrogation, another death trap, another interrogation. But the clever lines was pretty good, and that is why I gave it the ratings that I, that I did. All right. I'm going to give it a little bit higher than you. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Because I really enjoyed the movie, and I like that the reason for this big attack is budget cuts. Like, yeah, you know, kind of knocked your socks off. <laughs> yeah. Living in D.C. as we do, we hear all about budget cuts and finances and that sort of stuff about government. And so I just enjoy that that, that is the main plot of it. And it's not take over the World War domination. No, it's something that hits a bit closer to home for me. <laughs> 
So things a little bit more self-interested. People are more self-interested than evil most of the time. Well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the Spy Fi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song for this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.